0: It is recording then? Or is this just showing? Looks like it's recording. Great. All right. Pretty good going. All
1: right. Let's do it. Okay. Cool. Hi, I'm Gus Nyberg, and uh, here we're to talk about Niche's Land Trust 2018-2019 season. Uh, I have with me Bob Easter, Stewardship Manager, uh, Justin Harmison, Land Steward, and Sam Cody, Volunteer and Outreach Coordinator. It's a very good season for the organization. We get 17 burns from March 1st until April 2nd, completing 440 acres. And it's the first burn season for both Justin and Sam, and was looking to get some thoughts on theirs and perspective on the experience of fire. Before the process of fire starts, there's often a bunch of work that goes in ahead of time. And Justin, I was wondering if you could fill us in on the work that happens in order to prepare burn units for the day of the burn.
0: Yeah. So it was interesting from that perspective, putting in these breaks without seeing the behavior of fire. And a lot of what I was kind of utilizing was just anecdotal evidence from Bob. And basically what you, what you need to do is come fall time, we would take a mower and mow down all of uh, the vegetative um, growth. Just so when you come back in the fall, uh, you can just leaf blow the lines pretty easy and not have to uh, get a lot of the leaf litter built up on that old vegetative growth. Uh, What basically goes into fire breaks is just keeping a good clear area that is hopefully down to mineral soil so um, you don't have any burnable material that can jump across the line. A lot of what it is is just strategic planning and uh, if you do your appropriate planning you don't have to come fire day really worry about too much uh, crossing against the line so that's what we really really wanted to bring into the process this year um, and in years past is to hopefully not have anything Uh, jump across so that means putting in extra hours beforehand before the burn I don't know if Bob wants to touch on anything
2: yeah something I think about is uh, when you do your fire training you know it's really wildland fire training and it's not really focused on prescribed fires but there's a lot of things that you can take from the uh, wildland fire training and one of those things would be you know uh, fight fire aggressively after having provided for safety first and I think that's a Um, A good way to look at the prescribed fires, too, is to, you know, do your prescribed burn um, aggressively after you've provided for that safety and preparing the breaks uh, and making a good plan and having all of your equipment ready and all of those sort of things. And uh, it's a lot easier to deal with um, hazards and things if you can do that ahead of time before everything's on fire. It becomes more difficult and edgy while everything's burning.
1: So what are what's a good example of hazards that are near fire lines?
2: Oh, well, a lot of times you know you'll have uh, dead trees that, uh, or even just hollow trees uh, that have dead parts, and sometimes uh, you know you can get one of those caught up on the edge, and uh, there's a lot of different ways it can happen. You can actually just get that piece of uh, debris on fire, and it can um, sort of uh, shoot sparks or flames outside of the unit, or it could. Uh, you know, you can have even a spark flare through the air and catch a dead limb on fire up in the air. Um, and so you have to always watch for those things and, uh, something you can do ahead of time is you can go along those trees and you can sort of remove the burnable material away from them. Uh, and so as you're igniting the line, you can sort of work around those hazards and make sure that as it burns into the unit, you're, um, sort of alleviating those hazards before they become an issue. Um, something that we did at Fisher Oak this year is we had two units Uh, that we completed in the same day. And we actually uh, started on mop-up of the first unit as soon as we ignited the second unit because we had plenty of crew. And I actually ended up doing mop-up for the first unit and the second unit all the way through the second burn um, and transporting materials and things. And so, um, you know, there's always things that we're improving efficiency and dealing with those hazards, but sort of taking care of them ahead of time is always helpful. Yeah, so I think
0: speaking off of uh, Fisher Oak, for example, um, without being on fire and without kind of seeing some of these things, it is hard to anticipate it. So, for example, uh, Tab and I were watching this east line, and uh, we, we thought it was secure and started heading back to the parking lot. And as we were driving back, I was looking for smokers, and I found uh, two oak trees next to each other that had, uh, like Bob said, just branches that had caught on fire. It, the fire hadn't burned up those trees. So it's, without actually... Kind of seeing the fire, how it behaves, it is hard to kind of anticipate some of the, the hazards that go uh, with it. And a lot of it is just being observant at all, at all times and kind of
2: being aware of your surroundings. Yeah, some things can't really be anticipated. You just have to, and you have to you know, plan for what you can and then keep your eyes open. And the more you plan for what is an obvious hazard, um, the more likely it is that you're going to be able to pay attention to those detail, um, extra things that, that might happen along the line.
1: It was definitely a chaos element to starting fire. Um, there's a lot of planning obviously that goes in ahead of time that allows you to deal with uh, known or likely hazards that'll develop, but uh, certainly the uh, just staying aware and paying attention is kind of the key on the fire line. I started burning uh, back in 1998, um, turning leading fire. And so it, it's been a while since I had that kind of those new eyes to look on fire and kind of curious, Justin and Sam, uh, This is your first fire season. Um, Sam, you helped out doing some video work uh, a year ago on fire, but uh, some of your first impressions from being around fire and and kind of what thoughts and observations you guys had.
3: Um, Yeah, like you said, I, I was lucky enough to be on a burn a couple years ago with niches and I was just taking video. so. Uh, this burn season was really sort of getting out from behind the camera and actually getting on the fire lines. Really didn't know what the anatomy of a you know, a fire unit was. I knew what a break was but I didn't really know what the process of doing like a, a front burn and then back burning stuff. So for me this was really a learning experience. I realized that it, a lot of it's based on um, humidity and wind speed and there's a whole bunch of intricate things that go into fire that it was stuff that I didn't really realize and I've sort of had the opportunity to learn that through experienced hands. But yeah, it was a lot of fun. It's a great way <laughs> to get out of the office and burning things down is always a great way to relieve stress. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, being able to get out there and sort of stay active and actually get out and do that was a lot of fun. Um, There's a couple of times I actually got to go out with Justin and help prepare some of the fire breaks. And you can definitely tell the process is something that you just learn every time that you do it. I think every single burn that we did this season Uh, was pretty different. There was no two days going out and doing it that I'm like, this is like exactly the same. Uh, We had some burns that were on really hilly (laughs) landscapes. We had a burn down at Pecan Basin that was going up and down constantly. And just seeing how the fire reacts being on a shaded side of the hill versus the sunny side of the hill is, you know, completely different. And um, I'm looking forward to hopefully some more productive burn seasons and getting maybe a hundred of these things under my belt so i know what's going on and you know you can start to read the fuels as you do it and don't have to take it from somebody else's word
0: yeah i completely agree i think going into it i I took my fire training last october and have heard uh like i said the anecdotal things from bob and gus and but still going into it, i was definitely nervous because i mean growing up you're raised to not have things on fire. And then all of a sudden the whole woods or yeah. prairies on fire and you're like, uh-oh, uh, oh. but it's just knowing and understanding that that's okay. And that's what these uh, ecosystems were built upon. So, um, once, once I got a couple under my belt, I, I started to feel a little more confident. Now there were burns that I still kind of freaked out. For example, uh, Hunt Wiley's property when I was on the, uh, the ATV unit. Um, we had, uh, some tricky breaks and, uh, uh, certain points it, it did get a little nerve-wracking but at the same sense it brought that like excitement and um and then still understanding that we had everything contained so
3: um yeah
0: i i definitely looked forward every day to burning to get kind of that little
3: adrenaline rush <laughs> yeah i would definitely agree uh with you justin going into it was like you know i've seen burns before but i'm like ooh, i feel a little bit responsible for <laughs> for what happens here so going into it was a little bit nerve-wracking and uh, sort of a fun process that I got to be a part of too was actually I'm the volunteer and outreach coordinator at NICHA so I was actually bringing along other students that this was their first time as well so <laughs> you know they, at some points maybe they were looking at me for, for the skills that I have and I'm like oh this is my first time as well so <laughs> yeah going into it was a little bit nerve-wracking but I think did you have a memorable time that made it- you the most nervous uh, during the um, fire season? I think I have to, uh, yeah, uh, i would bring it back to what Justin said at Hunt Wiley's property that just starting that fire, uh, we started it in a really big patch of super dry fuels and I was on the flapper for that one. So it just, things got really, really hot, really, really quick. And there was just a big wall of evergreen trees that to me looked like they're just ready to explode. So it was a little bit nervous right at that first one. And I'd, I'd say that was like my my most like, oh man, we're really getting into this. <laughs> But another thing I learned doing the fires is it's the uh, excitement sort of will peak really, really high at certain points. It'll be like usually at the beginning when things just start going, like you're like, all right, how's this going to go? And then once you figure it out and things sort of settle down, it's, it's more or less you have a feel that everything's contained. But there's a little bit of wild right there at the beginning, and I'd say that was definitely there for the Hunt Wiley burn. You've been
1: doing this for a couple of years, Bob. Did you have any spots that made you nervous during this fire season?
2: Uh, you know, uh, there weren't any situations that, um, really came up that made me too nervous except for not fisher oak. Well, I mean, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, I don't really feel nervous in the moment doing those things because I know that I need to be in control of that moment. Uh, I'm responsible for that while we're doing it, but yeah, there's, you know, uh, almost what was a 0.37 mile fire break through a spirobulus dominated prairie Uh, It's a really long hot line, and putting out the back line there took, you know, a full water tank plus a little bit more. And, uh, you know, on the other side of that is a lot of hot burning fuels and someone's home. And right away when we got there, we had a tire that was leaking air, and I had to run back to the truck and get the plug and deal with that. But on that burn, uh, you know, we had multiple equipment issues. And uh, I think just learning to stay calm in the moment and sort of deal with what's coming at you... Um, you sort of learn that. And I've mentioned to Justin over the year, you know, I, I can tell that there's moments where he's frustrated about a burn because something didn't burn like he expected. Or I can see his expectations didn't meet what happened. And so you can see that frustration of like, well, I thought I knew what was going on, but maybe I don't. And, and I basically said, you know, do 50, 50 burns. And then you'll sort of have a, a compiled sort of database in your mind of fuels, different conditions, different times of year. You'll You'll be able to think about you know, how does the back burn behave differently than, uh, than the head fire? And, you know, what areas are going to have um, obstructions that are going to cause wind shifts? And uh, when you see the, a wind shift happen and all of a sudden it looks like, you know, if the head fire is taking off, you just know that you're, you're in a corner where the, uh, the wind is being reflected back into the unit. And eventually, once you get away from the corner, those flames will calm down and go back into the back burn. And sort of just, um, you know, knowing what to expect and you know seeing those things move forward uh i feel less and less nervous about doing burns Uh, but i am more cognizant of you know dealing with those sort of hazard trees and stuff which you know think places like fisher oak have a lot and uh you know early on you know killing canopy trees in there in order to open up light and get oak regeneration and regenerate the sedges and blueberries and all the cool stuff in the understory um, it's left a lot of woody debris that just doesn't go away real fast and um, you have to think about those things before you do the burn units, and I feel like we did a really good job of you know preparing everything, and um, we had the normal amount of um, anxiety and danger, <laughs> uh, which should be you know uh, it should be there, but it shouldn't be you know the thing that dominates your behavior.
1: For sure, there are burns that are certainly more complicated. And um, as a fire manager or burn boss, um, you are, um, have heightened focus on, on some burns. Um, when we talked about the prep, Justin talked about the you know the, the moving of fuel from the line. And the other aspect of that is the extra ATV tire and the redundancy built into the, the planning process so that when um, things that uh, can go wrong um, are addressed ahead of time as best as possible, Um, There's a lot of history and uh, goes into kind of uh, things that have happened on fire lines that have helped kind of build that kind of redundancy of tools that are present on the fire line to to make them safe as possible. Um, uh, Equipment is uh, a really important aspect. We don't show up with just our feet to step on the fire. Uh, So what sort of equipment uh, can you share with us, Justin, uh, that goes into the fire lines and uh, in terms of the preparation process you did in terms of getting those to the site?
0: yeah, for the most part, um, I was in charge of bringing the majority of the equipment. Uh, Bob brought along the, the Nomex, which is your, your clothing, uh, items. So you don't feel near the amount of heat. Um, it is fire retardant. And then, uh, so every, every volunteer and then every staff member wears Nomex, a helmet, uh, fireproof gloves. Um, and then a lot of the other equipment is kind of dependent on what kind of burn you're doing and the fuels uh, that you'll be working with. So, for example, on our, our prairie burns, we utilize flappers, which uh, puts out the grass fuels pretty easily just by uh, stuffing out all the, the oxygen. Um, and then uh, we use rakes, uh, Pulowski's, McLeods, a lot of different hand tools. Um, hopefully you don't have to u- uh, use those as much as uh, – you would like to, uh, so for like, example, that goes back to the prep work, right? You, you shouldn't have to use your tools as often. Um, but uh, we also bring along water resources um, to put out smokers, to, to put wet lines down. Um, so a lot of it was bringing water pumps, all of our hand tools, our, our clothing items, um, all our, our drip torches, which actually is the, the lighting source, um, uh, extra torch fuel uh let's see what else what else is uh, ra- for every burn? <laughs> radios um to stay in constant communication that's a big uh, vital import of what we do so that everybody knows what's going on at all times and if we need to move resources around we can um
3: and a lighter <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah don't forget the lighter <laughs> yeah yeah
0: we need to need to start the fire um atv units depending on the burn uh bob pointed out uh, that earlier and yeah, like I said, it's all dependent on what the what the burn unit is, how big the burn unit is, what kind of fuels you have, uh, how many people are going to be there. So that's the majority of the, so the tools involved. It just
1: does a lot of our burning um, starting, as we said, this year, March 1st, and that's t- time of year when uh, daytime temps are often um, above freezing and get below freezing. Um, putting away equipment, particularly water, isn't quite as simple as just driving home and leaving it there if you're burning the next day. Uh, there's quite a bit that goes in it before and after burns if you're responsible for equipment um any thoughts or sharing kind of uh, how much time it gets put in after all the volunteers go home and, and feeling <laughs> good that you're uh making sure equipment's ready to go the next day
0: yeah yeah uh there's definitely that that kind of planning and strategic part of
2: it um full-time stewardship staff uh does lots and lots of work outside the fire that nobody sees including all that prep work of mowing and leaf blowing and uh clearing hazards and cutting trees with chainsaws that fall over the brakes and all that stuff and then maintenance on that equipment maintenance on all that stuff and then when you are done ringing the fire and everything is safe you know you're still not done and oftentimes we're going back out to do internal ignitions and we're doing mop up on the edges and uh, and then at the end of that day you have to stop and go okay what's tomorrow do we have our burn all the way prepped? Do we have things to do in the morning? Where do we need the fuel? What's the temp going to be tonight? Do we need to get the ATVs inside storage uh, where they, they have heat control because uh, you know that was an, a thing that happened early on. Uh, I don't. I'm not sure if it ever happened to me actually, but uh, you know, having the fro the hose full of water and all frozen on the unit, you know, that's not going to do you any good on the burn. Um, and you can easily break things. We've had brass fittings break and so essentially at this point I don't even bother trying to get all the water out we just try to get the ATV into a place where it'll be um, heated so it, it doesn't have a chance to freeze up and that can be a big frustration throughout the year just trying to you're already exhausted you know finished the prep and finish the burn and and now you have to figure out you know what you need for tomorrow and gathering everything up and splitting it up to the place it needs to go to and make sure you have the radios charged. And, you know, make sure you have fuel mix for the next day for the torches. And, you know, all of those things are every single element is um, key to being able to successfully complete the burn. And we are not going to show up to do a burn and not be ready to do it. We're not going to walk away from a prepped unit uh, because we're, we're missing something. So we need to make sure we have all those things in hand. And that's a big part of doing it. It's roughly... Two pickup trucks
0: full of uh, equipment that goes into each and every one of these burns. One haul in a trailer. Yep. With
2: the and unit.
3: sometimes two haul in a trailer, too. I'd say uh, one thing just to, to build on what sort of happens after the fire, which I thought was a, a interesting experience that me and Justin shared a couple times, was the uh, the mop-up afterwards where you're just sort of making sure that uh, everything's out. <laughs> and from a standpoint of two new people who've never done this, you, know, you almost just want to make sure there's nothing smoking, nothing at all but you know it's okay to leave some stuff if there's a line of black along everything it was definitely learning how to walk away from
2: something when it's done you know I think you guys did a great job of that and that's part of you know our management strategy as a troop advisors is to let you sort of feel things out and you know see what you think about how it is and what's what's safe and what's not safe and you know we have our our points where we need to step in and make things clear Uh, Sometimes, But it's also good for you to, you know, put your own feelers out there and sort of get your own feel for, you know, what things are. And we did, you know, sort of did experiments with that with Justin where, okay, you prep these breaks and then we'll do the burn. And you'll just see, you know, what it is that you've, you know, was it sufficient? Was there something that could have been done better? And, you know, just letting people see that, uh, you know, doing their own prep work and then following through with the burn. Uh, and then let everybody sort of recalibrate and readjust to and discuss um, that's how it an works. important works. Yeah, of, and uh, discuss and, and yeah. then
1: having people, you know, see and um, why things occurred and, you know how things played out from how they decided to do things. And that's a great learning process um, with uh, you know the, the bookends of uh, um, myself and Bob's you know history to be like, ooh, no, we couldn't do that. But as long as it's within those bookends, it's having the process be a very iterative process. So there's a lot of different roles on the fire line, um, and uh, Sam, did you uh, have any favorite roles that you had this uh, summer, Well, I think
3: the, the fl- favorite role always has to be the <laughs> lighting, just because that's fun to actually be the one putting the fire on the ground. Um, it really depends on what's going on in the burn, I found. Uh, like, there was a couple burns, like the more intense prairie ones, where actually flapping was a pretty <laughs> high-stress job for a while, so... Um, it depends on sort of the nature of the, like the individual burn of what I would like choose as my tool. But I'd say you can never go wrong with lighting just because that's just fun. Um, I enjoyed flapping, it's definitely a process that goes into it and just you have to make sure that you're not just staring at the fire and watching behind you and making sure things aren't catching on fire outside of the unit. Um, my least favorite probably have to be the water pack just because that's heavy. That's, especially when it you know, I got lucky. Justin was the one who had to carry the water pack up and down the hills at Pecan Basin. So I, was, I got I lucked out on that one. Uh you have any favorite ones, Justin? Uh I I thoroughly in, enjoyed
0: kind of leading the lines and having that responsibility. Um the only the only problem with that then is people on your line doing doing the job that you know you could also like be doing better. So for example, if you have a volunteer running the drip torch and they're using too much fuel with it or something you almost just want to grab it and (laughs) and then do the job for them but but it is a it's a learning process for them they they get intimately involved with the fire um but when when i was not leading the lines i i definitely enjoyed the drip torch um probably my least favorite then would be running an atv just because of how loud it is (laughs) that that's one thing you almost need earplugs with the water pump running um and you're kind of sitting there, and you almost feel like you need to be doing something at all times. But for the most part, uh, you uh, didn't really, or the burns that I ran the ATV unit, you didn't really have to. Um, but yeah, I, I each each kind of job with on, uh, within the lines was cool to kind of get that different experience.
1: There are a lot of different roles, and uh, there's and when a fire is done well, um, there is a lot of uh, what I call hurry up and wait, um, where you're or you're not really kind of going full bore into kind of uh, an activity. There's, you know, it's, it should be done at a very even pace. It shouldn't be any kind of uh, anxiety and stress really, as you do things, it's all done in a very methodical way. You may be physically working, but you're not, shouldn't be working it's hard. And uh, for the most part, we had that this year um, in terms of the uh, level of exertion that was being exhibited by people was, you know, kind of in, in step with what you'd expect for the fire line um, in terms of needing to pay attention.
3: Yeah, I would say that was actually my biggest misconception going into this burn season was I was expecting to be busy the entire time doing something, and I was actually surprised to find out that once things are moving, it's actually a pretty steady process, and it's more or less just maintaining things, and I was expecting kind of constant action, which I'm glad it wasn't, and that's, yeah, like you said, just going into, if you prepare it right, it's not going to be constant action, but it's still... I mean,
1: a good example of that, when we were burning the woodland unit at Fisher Oak Savannah, um, I was actually just talking with Barry Rubin, who is on the ATV, that and I think that you know there was some perception that maybe we had a few too many people there for the burn, and like that, um, that just the activity that, you know wasn't getting fully taxed. And literally, we had that conversation about four minutes before we had the slop over over the line, and you know we were able to control it at about you know 15 by 15 foot uh, slop over, um, but you know we had the people there and you know kind of nipped in the bud all the conversations like well maybe we had a few
3: too many people checking mm. the line well <laughs> nope that's
1: actually why you have all that kind of redundancy built in to kind of um, so that little little slop over is caught when it's small rather than you know finding it when it's uh, two acres in size and beyond the capabilities of uh, uh, what you have there to, to, to address it.
2: Yeah when you're burning 100 acres at Fisher Oak Savannah and a couple of hot burning units and you're out there all day implementing the fire um, that cushion can disappear on you pretty quick where you're like, okay, all of a sudden there's no water in the ATV on the road now, and gas is running low, and now you've got a strap that broke on one of the things that's holding the water tank in one of the ATVs, and... Uh, the bottom plug for the recirculation valve came loose on the other one and starts leaking water out of the bottom tank. a lot of, of interesting of hypotheticals. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, a lot of <laughs> hypotheticals there. You know, say maybe your <laughs> nozzle falls <laughs> off your spray gun. And, uh, you know, you just have to kind of calmly turn around and go walk back through the area that you uh, were just walking through and find that thing and put it back on there. And, you know, that's why you have the two ATVs on a burner like that. Um, and we need to, to actually go and you know, rotate out the machines from the roadside and take them over to, uh, junior Sizemore, the neighbor's house to fill them back up with water. And, um, there was actually, you know, quite a lot to do with the ATV on on that burn. And, um, you know, that can be the case sometimes, especially when you're doing, you know, a long prolonged, you know, a couple of two larger units that take a lot of time to get through, um, your equipment can, can wear on you and break. And, um, there's just a lot of things that can go wrong and, you know I talked about it earlier you just kind of got to stay calm in those situations and and work it out
1: the other thing that I, from a holding perspective is sometimes you get lulled to sleep so to speak because the first half of the burn is going so smoothly and really the fire can escape at any time and I think that's what got us at Fisher Oak it was the second unit of the day the first unit had gone smoothly um, it, it, it was work but the everything that we built into kind of keeping in the line was successful um, even with the equipment issues that you just addressed and then we were about at the halfway point of the second unit where we're turning around with the lighting head fires and it's just before that point and it's like things are going well and like oh you know we got this and that's you know usually when um uh you feel like you got this is probably a time you
2: ought to send someone back to check on the line because something might be getting you It's <laughs> um. when uh my paranoia is most valuable <laughs> <laughs>
1: So there's a couple opportunities coming up to learn more about fire. The Indiana uh, recently formed an Indiana Prescribed Fire Council Um, on May 24th. uh, We're gathering that first annual meeting of the Prescribed Fire Council for people that are interested in uh, learning more about uh, the process um, and specifically how it relates to some of the uh, endangered species and other um, timber and how that's affected by use with fire management. Um, But it's just a great way to um, also meet with, um, other folks that are using fire um, outside of Niches as well. Um, so um, May 24th, Indiana Prescribed Fire Council, if anyone's interested in that. And how would be anyone get uh, involved with Niches Fire Program, Sam?
3: Uh, well, I'm glad you asked us. <laughs> um, in the fall, we're going to be having a fire training. Um, so just keep an eye on our social media, and you can sign up for our newsletters if you want info for when that's coming up. Um, you can send me an email at, at org if you want information on fires or to be signed up on our fire list for uh, if we get any burns going this fall, and we will have a, another big season coming up here next spring. We have a couple really big units that we're planning on burning, so um, if you want to make it out, you, you don't need any prior experience. Um, that's just part of it, is going out and learning, just like me and Justin did. So. It's a it's a fun process. It's a great way to get out there, meet new people, and um, you know, you at the end of the day, you had fun, and you know, you did something good for the ecosystem.
1: So typically, uh, when a new volunteer comes on, they get some orientation of, of uh, how to use the tools, and they get paired with an experienced person until they're comfortable uh, taking on that role themselves. Um, so it's it's for those that people out there that might be nervous and want to see what's going on. Um, it is uh, uh not quite as literally as uh, dropping you into the frying pan, Um, but it is uh, a process where you're working on the line with an experienced either volunteer or staff person getting kind of experience and kind of direction and using the tool, whether it's the ignition or the flapper or the water packs and stuff like that and the proper techniques in order to use it as a suppression tool. Um, It's
3: trial by fire, but not really.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. any their most memorable moments from you, Justin, in terms of the season, in terms of uh, you'll take away from your first fire season?
0: Uh, I mean, uh, from like a holistic standpoint, they're just just the, the entire learning experience was great. I thoroughly enjoyed getting out on the line, um, getting more intimately involved with the land, seeing how fire reacts, uh, going to all these properties that I already work at, Um, every day but then seeing fire actually move across them and see how important that is for these ecosystems. Uh, So I wouldn't say anything specifically memorable just kind of chatting with everybody getting to know all the volunteers was great. Um, Yeah and I, I really look forward to upcoming seasons and can't wait to get some more burns done.
2: Another good thing coming for you guys is that, uh, you know, this is the first time you have been through the season where you've actually seen the burns go down, and now you get to watch the units develop after they've been burned, and you can see, okay, this place has been burned once or twice, this place has been burned, you know, six or seven times, Um, you know, how does this help me uh, with my management to control invasive species, how does it... Um, benefit the 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 native ecosystems in the flora that's there Um, do you see differences in animal activity and just lots of different things that are sort of the the outflow of the process and you just sort of put this all away at the end of fire season but there's actually still a lot to learn and see from fire that you just you know every day of the year you can see some of this stuff going down and uh, that's that was a big thing for me is just watching what happens after you burn and what opportunities are presented in that uh, for other management
1: that's a good reminder that the, uh, the process of fire is obviously very uh, um, intense and, and is, you know, it takes a lot of focus in order to make it happen, but we don't actually do fire just because, you know, fire is hot and cool and fun. Um, it's all the outflows and effects of the fire that is really what drive the ecosystems and, and keep us uh, um, keep us utilizing it as a tool to, to affect the ecosystems that are out there. And, and that's really the, the true impact of, of the fire program is, is visiting the sites in summer and seeing the bloom that's a that's present uh, and making that kind of uh, all come full circle of, of why the fire is implemented on, on the ground how about you sam in terms of memorable moments from fire
3: season um i'd say maybe not a particular moment but something i i enjoyed and sort of discovered through the burns is, especially in some of the, uh, the grass units, once you burn that down, you sort of like, you can see that there was a whole ecosystem there. There's a few that we burned down, that there was a bunch of bones and stuff. Um, and when you burn down some of the grasses, you can tell where a lot of the uh, paths that animals walked on were so you can see like mouse tracks that go through deer tracks and you can tell like oh there's things that are using this you just usually don't get to see the ground because there's always stuff that's growing being able to actually have that burned down and then see like this is a you know is being used was i thought that was a pretty interesting moment i fully enjoyed all the burns there was a few burns that burned i think it was our first burn that we had at uh, uh crow's grove we we burned the, our first burn was right across the road in War and Peace, and that was a, a great one to start on, because that was just a huge grass unit that burned really hot, and then we moved over to Crow's Grove, and that burned, it was a very pretty burn, just because, you know, of the location, but it didn't burn quite as well, so like, just in that first day, it was one that burned really, really well, and then one that, I think we got, I don't know, it was like 50, 60 percent of it burned or something, and so, yeah, even like right off the bat, I'm like, all right, all these are going to be really different, and that's just what i enjoyed the most about this burn season was just how different every single burn was there's nothing that was even remotely the same there's always you know there's just too many things coming in to make a burn happen that it's impossible for every every factor to be the same so i enjoyed the variety of it
1: one thing that stood out most for me i think is on uh march 25th i know bob was out working on as well as justin uh, prepping lines at fisher oak and holly respectively um, and I uh, believe that Bob left around 7 p.m. Uh, from that site, and the next day we were able to do two burns at Fisher Oak Savannah, um, uh, a challenging place to do burning. Uh, it takes a lot of focus and attention, um, and then the following day we were able to pull off a 79-acre burn and a 20-acre burn at, at Holly and Vicendec, uh, um, respectively, and it just really kind of the is the organization has grown in capacity to implement fire, our ability to make use of the the good fire days when we want to uh, get the fire on the ground that in the past those are things that we may have been able to use uh, one unit out of those two days because of our reliance on volunteers and during being during the week um, but that we were both ready for the fire um, but also able to jump on that and and push ourselves to um, during that the small window that can open and close so quickly in, in the spring fire season in order to get the uh, as much of the acreage that we got on the ground burned
3: any other closing thoughts? Like I said, my email is sam at if you want info on how you can get involved with some of our burns and just keep an eye on your local parks or local land trusts because that's the right way to do conservation is getting fire on the ground. And um, there's places that are doing it all over, and it's a great way to get outside and get some experience. Um, and there's always more stuff to do even after the burn because especially in some of the grass units. It uncovers everything that people have thrown in there. So if you're a little intimidated by the fire, feel free to come out and you can help pick up some of the trash and do some of the mop-up. And um, Yeah, really looking forward to next year's season and getting some more experience. Yep, we're on uh, all social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram.
0: Um, Go ahead and chat with us, get a hold of us. If you want to volunteer on other things, Um, we're always available and looking for volunteers uh, to come out. So... Yep, get out, take a walk, go find some things. See you on the land. Later.